We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Coming up, the latest on the Kansas City Royals from our team here at KCSN. All of our Royals content is brought to you by KC Strength and Conditioning, experts in baseball and softball training for kids ages 8 to 18. If you're in need, you're in luck. John and his crew have sent hundreds of players to college and the pros. That's KC Strength and Conditioning. And now, it's time for the latest updates on your Kansas City Royals. What's up, y'all? This is One Royal Way here on Kansas City Sports Network. I'm Joel Penfield, Josh Kaiser, and joining Jordan Foote. Joining me as always. How you doing, boys? I've Josh. been better. I've been existence is pain. Existence better. is pain. Life has no meaning. All that kind of stuff. I got a Monarchs hat tonight because it's at a protest for what's currently happening on every baseball diamond the Royals seem to step foot on lately. I'm doing great. Uh, my life is going well. Um, I, I'm just fine. I'm, I'm peachy and I'm ready to, to do a podcast with you guys. I'm excited. I've been watching a lot of baseball that is not being played in Kansas City or Miami, apparently, this week. <laughs> um, this show is always brought to you by Kansas City Strength and Conditioning. Uh, we appreciate them. Day one sponsor here at KCSN. Uh, be sure to check them out if you have a baseball or softball player in the area that needs a place to train. One of the best areas. Uh, one of the best places in the area for that purpose. Mm-hmm. This is going to try and be about as peachy of an episode as we possibly can go. But unfortunately, that shit's been rolling downhill for so long that I don't know how much longer we'll be able to hold it together. I think we pride ourselves on trying to be as measured and nuanced as we possibly can and be even-handed with it. Uh, I hope that we can do our best with that tonight, though I am not hopeful. Um, just to, to start out, I you know, the losses at this point are what they are. Like, they're, this team is what, 18 and 43 at this point. Like, what's another loss? The thing that's bothered me over the last week or so is that it's just little league terrible mistakes that are just crippling this team right now. And there's a certain amount of stuff that I can excuse away when you're playing six or seven rookies and second-year players in a lineup day in, day out. That's part and parcel with being a young team and losing. Like, there is some stuff, like, sometimes, you know, bad swing decisions, bad at-bats, you know, pitchers not executing the way that we think pressing with runners and scoring positions, some of that I can excuse away. And, I, and I'm and i fine with it because that's part of learning. It's getting thrown out on the bases. The, the two plans have been horrible for about the last week and a half. It's 
get, you know, taking too big of a secondary lead at third base and getting thrown out when you've got a chance for a rally. It's getting doubled off on a fly ball that you didn't read properly. It's running through a stop sign at third base. It's half-assing a ball in the outfield, not calling it off when there's 350 people in the damn stadium and you let it drop and it keeps the inning go. Those are the things that you can control. That's staying mentally in the game. And I'm afraid that the losing is piling up to the point that it's starting to like break dudes mentally. And it sucks that that happens, but you see this happen to teams all the time that when things are going downhill. And I'm afraid we've reached that point. I know it's fixable. That stuff is coachable and easily coached out of. On the flip side of that, like those, they can be coached to it all they want. Guys have to make that decision to make that play and stay engaged. The coaches can't do that for them. Matt Cotrero and Jose Alguacil have a 1,000 fielding percentage this year. They, there's only so much the coaches can do when these dudes are on the field. These dudes have to take to it, and it's on them. Like They have to take ownership of this because it that is the stuff that is unacceptable. The losses are what they are, but it's the little things that they can control that are getting out of control right now. And I want to say that it is – I still want to go back to them being it's, – it's a young team, an inexperienced team, still trying to get their foothold, trying to press too much. I mean, all that stuff is still very uh, valid and credible, but – it, it, like you said, it's unacceptable. It's little league horse shit um, that should be coached out of them. I mean, even not even be it's even beyond Q and August. It's it's fundamental stuff that it just seems like they're trying to push to you. Even Nikki Lopez made a very errant judgment call yesterday that allowed us to, uh, instead of double playing and potentially getting two outs, trading two outs for one the other day, he threw a home, missed the out, inning extended, and then the floodgates opened after that. So. Even veterans on the rundown forgot to throw yes. the third. Yeah. Well, no wait. He was trying to. I think I see what he was saying. Even Hudler was talking about that. That water should have came in from center field to cover second base on that. I don't know if that was Sally's fault. It was probably a whole team thing again. But again, yes, mm-hmm. it's veterans making dumb plays on top of it, and it just feels like the youth is one thing, the inexperience is one thing, but just the mental lapses is just something's wrong. I don't know what's clicking. If they're just pushing too hard, I don't. I don't get it. We need to get it out of there because it's it's not going to work that way. Well, and the thing is, it's it's twofold. Like on one hand, when you are trying to be a competitive team, you can't do stuff like that. Um, this is the difference between a not so good record and an okay record, or an okay record and a an above average record. Like this is costing a few wins, and mm-hmm. this season it's not going to matter. But I keep bringing up, and I think we've all brought up the habits you build now. You're supposed to be laying the foundation now for the next successful team, and you're not doing that when you're making fielding mistakes, or you're making base running mistakes, or you're making even mistakes at the plate. Like when you're doing that in such excess, and it's not like last year. I I would argue, and I'm not in that clubhouse, I would argue the culture right now is a lot better than it was last year. And the 100%. coaching staff is, is better than it was last year. When when those things are better and those factors are improved and the mistakes are arguably worse than they were at any point last season, like maybe I just don't remember it, but this specific like two-week stretch has been really, really bad in terms of mental lapses. And maybe it's because they care too much and they're just trying so hard. And that would be a great spin zone way to look at it. It also could be, like Joel said, some guys kind of it's setting in. 
Um, I don't think it's set in as much in this regard last year, so I'm not sure what theory I subscribe to, but I'm big on you're supposed to be laying that foundation this year, and I don't want to spend too much time, obviously, on this small topic, but um, speaking of small, it is a little league thing to do. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to insinuate that dudes are sure. checking out men sure. at all. That just, when you see it happen in one game and it's a one-off thing, it's like, okay, they just had a bad day at the office and you can move on. When you see it, it happened, and then it happened again, it happened again, it happened again in a three or four game stretch. It's like, okay, how much of a correlation is it? How much of it is correlation and causation, right? <laughs> and I just, I hope that maybe they can flush it after this trip in Miami. They continue on the road trip in Baltimore. Maybe they get things right on that on that flight from Miami to Baltimore, and we're having a, a different conversation next week. And I think the, the biggest thing that made me question it was the, and I was at the game on Saturday, ball hit to Bobby Wood Jr. and he just looked up quick and, and he booted it, which is something we haven't seen him do all year. And he's been one of the best defensive shortstops in baseball this year. And it's like, man, what what is going on right now? Like it's stuff like that. It's not like Edward Olivares had a an error in the field tonight. We come to expect you that expect that. Yeah. When they play his hand in left field, like that's that's the kind of stuff that that can happen. Mm-hmm. But when it's some of your best defenders and your headiest players making those mistakes, it's like how much of the the losing is weighing on them and they're pressing, trying to make the play and do more than they can control. Like that's you, why the cliche of control, which you can control and do your job. That's that seems like what's happening. Like every you're trying your hardest and it's just getting more and more sunk in. Uh it just kind of feels like it's the quicksand that Shane Falco talks about. So uh love me some Shane Falco and maybe it's applicable here. We need uh we need a thunder ska or some kind of line dance in a jail cell to pull this team together and get out of that funk. Get a bar fight for God's sake. Let's go. <laughs> what else we got? And I, I am not well, one more thing. Like I am not like, I don't need Matt Cotrero to be Aaron Boone and get ejected so much that you get suspended. Sure. But there are certain times where it's like, man, I kind of want him to fire up the boys and go lay into somebody and like lay into an umpire just to get everybody go. Like, I think yeah. if the team sees that, he did it once this year, and I think they got to win the next day. Like, stuff like, sometimes you just need that. Like, there has to be a calculated thing. It can't be Aaron Boone throwing bitch fits every other day. But, like, I, I just want to see something like that. And I think some of that is Q growing into being a manager and finding the right time and place. Like, there is an element of that. Give me a uh, dugout clearer. Give me a brawl. Yeah. I feel like some physical violence could blow some steam off. It actually, the timeline on Twitter would absolutely explode. I just feel like it would be, uh, uh, a, a, you know, getting all the negativity out and just punching a few dudes in the face. Maybe just get yelled a little bit. <laughs> a little Call bit of the 2015. I will say the Mariners and Angels last year, that brawl they had on a Sunday afternoon, the Mariners went on a 14-game win streak after that. Yep. Just saying. Yeah. Um, I am not advocating for violence, but hey, who knows? Maybe it could work. If it comes with a baseball diamond, I'm fine with it. But before we get way too out of control here on this time and go, then we start rolling downhill in the wrong direction. Thank you, Josh. Uh, that's, that's that's Josh's occupation in the podcast. I'm all fine. There are some some trade reports starting to to come out with some Royals uh, that are. Uh, as we get move into the summer, we're getting poor trade season, which the Royals are going to be a part of and not in the way that we want. 
Uh, They're going to be selling once again, or all the Chapman, obviously, on the block. There are rumors that Barlow is there as well. Uh, and relievers are a great currency to have uh, as you head into the trade deadline so the Royals can get something back. This was from Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. For now, the Royals are giving teams interested in Aroldis Chapman two options, according to sources briefed on their discussions. Part with a better prospect package to control Chapman for nearly four months of the regular season, rather than two months of a team uh, that would get by acquiring him at the August 1 deadline. The earliest he can get traded is June 15th. If he continues the way he's pitching, I'd imagine that he is on this team for about two more weeks. And or accept Chapman as a package with another Royals player, enabling Kansas City to shed payroll while ensuring a better return in a trade. I'd prefer the first option, if we're being honest. <laughs> because, the second and, option doesn't make any sense. Well, so the, second op- the second option is gonna bring is gonna like buoy the the return because mm-hmm. you're sending a uh, Jordan Lyles, a Brad Keller. Uh I mean, if you package Barlow and Chapman, that could work. Mm-hmm. But like sending a shitty contract away with what with your best trade asset is not helpful. Yeah. It's counterintuitive. They're they're not hurting for they're, they're not hurting that bad for money. They don't have oh. a high payroll. They don't have they're not broke. Like I, I don't get that. I think Chapman is going to be traded. I think it's going to be by himself. They're going to net something better than what many expect in coming into the season. It's not going to be anything crazy. You don't get me wrong. Um, but the couple more months of control, that's a big deal. They could trade Scott Barlow. Like, here's a, a crazy concept. Trade them separately. Do multiple trades. Like, get rid of guys you don't want to keep. You don't have to put them all in one package. And in this case, it's not like you're saying, hey, here's two or three really good players. Let's get something big. You're saying, hey, here's one good asset and then one bad asset, and we're going to drag it down. So trade a couple of your good ones by themselves. Um, and then if you really need money come this winter, execute a trade and offload some salary. Um, that's the beauty of the offseason. You can do that stuff. Um, I, I don't get why uh, he has to say that, I guess. he It makes logical sense, but I, I would much uh, put my money, if I had to, on that, that first one happening. I was irrationally upset about this when I saw this report because... The only big contracts, and I say big, and that is relative. Uh, the only contracts above four million are Salvi Perez to make it twenty million dollars. He's still owed quite a bit after that. Got that C on his chest. I don't think he's going anywhere. That leaves Grinky at eight point five, uh, Lyles at eight point five, and nobody taking Lyles off contract off of this. Grinky maybe, but I mean he signed with Kansas City for a reason. I don't know if he would just he would sign off on a trade to go anywhere. Barlow's at five point three. The other potential was. Keller at 5.7. These are peanuts. And this just goes to show, like, if this is really an option, if this is truly being spoken to other clubs as this is the two things, these are the two options, what are you going to pick? It's like, why why are we so scratched for money that we're trying to offload $5 million contract? Because why are we so, so close to the margin that $5 million is is a make or break and to actually dilute the hall away from your best trade asset. I don't understand that at all. Their payroll is $94 million. That is nothing. That is nothing. Why are we so worried about money at this point? It's nothing. This is an assessment year. It always was going to be that money's gone, man. The hundred Dozier contract is (laughs) gone. 
you're on Yarbrough, money's gone. I mean, this is, it's just so, it makes me so, and obviously I don't know all the books. I don't know what the budget detail is, sure. but it just made me so angry that this was like part of the options that I, I, I want to defend Sherman to the death. I want him to be the owner that we all want him to be. And he says he is. This is the kind of move that just makes me think that everybody booing him already and wanting him gone already after year three just gives them credibility for no stupid yeah. reason. Why is this a thing? Well, That's obviously good. more information. Yeah, more, <laughs> more. Uh, we can just leave it there. But yeah, more information will come out over the next couple of weeks. I'd imagine by, I don't know, maybe two, three podcasts from now, we'll be talking about the return for Harold Chapman. If he continues to pitch the way he has over the last couple of weeks. A couple of starting pitchers for the Royals have had a couple of decent outings over the last uh, week or so. Brady Singer and Daniel Lynch in that Colorado Rockies series. Now, for, for Daniel Lynch, the the line itself doesn't look very sexy. Five innings, six hits, five earn, or five runs, three earned. But then he had seven strikeouts, one walk. He gave up all of those runs in the first inning and really settled in after that. And I being at the game, I was so upset and not like at the fact that it was happening, it was just the way it was happening. All of those runs scored. I still remember it on a 78 mile an hour doinker, a 68 mile an hour doinker up the middle. And Alaris <laughs> Montero hit a ball a million feet in the air that landed on the chalk in right field. And I looked it up after the game, the expected batting average on it was 090. <laughs> So it was just the definition of just getting babbitt to death. And some of it was because Bobby Wood Jr. made an error at second base and that just unraveled things. But what I what I like to see was he really settled down in that game after that. Commanded the, his off-speed stuff. He had really good command of. Fastball sat around 93, touched a 94. Uh, didn't really diminish velocity as he went down. So it was it was good to see him hold some of that and gain a little bit of confidence after a, I mean, nightmarish first inning. And then it was fine. Brady Singer had probably his best start of the year on Sunday against the Rockies. Seven strikeouts, no walks. Only, funny enough, how many changeups do you think he threw? Do any of you guys know off the top of your head? He threw 95 pitches. He threw two in the first one and then three in the second, right? Uh, he threw four. Threw four changeups. Yeah, really? Just four. Hmm. And I saw one of them. Uh, I was I was at the game. Yeah, I was at the game and I was up the right field foul pole. Not a great vision. I just happened to catch it up on the uh, on the reader. But yeah, I was very surprised by how many he actually threw at the end of the game. Yeah, 50, 50 sinkers, forty one sliders. But he had it working. His slide it was, was about the best that we've seen it. He almost showed like two varieties of it. It wasn't necessarily a sweeper, but he there were times where he'd throw it up in the zone a little and it would sweep. And there were times where he had a lot more north south tilt on it. If he, you know, there are days where he has it working and we're going to come on here and go, sometimes he just doesn't need it if he's got command of the sinker and slider so well. And then he's going to go get shellacked in three outings and we're going to go, he only threw four changeups. What are you doing? Exactly. I can't, I can't figure out how to evaluate his changeup at this point because there are some days where he doesn't need it. And then there are other days where he very clearly does. Now, the Rockies lineup is not good. Chris Bryant's on the injured list. Charlie Blackman didn't play in that game. So how much can you take away from it? But considering the horribly rocky start he had to begin to the year, no pun intended, the last two outings have been fairly solid for him, uh, all things considered. So it, it seems like we're starting to get back on the right track after about a six-week stretch where it was, what's Brady Singer doing? 
I, I think he's going to be able to build off of those last two starts. He had one against the Nationals that was okay. Um, it wasn't spectacular, but I think I thought he generally pitched pretty well. Uh, but to command the ball the way he did with no walks is a pretty good sign to me. Yeah, and I think you got to take it, like you said, got to take it both as a grain of salt. The Nationals are the Nationals. They're rebuilding somehow faster than the Royals, even though well, it's Well, having one friggin' Soto, Max sure. Scherzer, or Trey Turner, sure, Trey Turner. it helps. That'll, that'll, 100%. That'll help. That'll, that'll, that'll absolutely expedite things, but it's just like it, they're still not a great lineup. A Colorado bat outside of Nolan Jones, who sees Brady Singer really well. He two rockets off that bat uh, on Sunday. But yeah, I was really impressed with uh, what Singer was doing. And I, I, the last few weeks, I've kind of been looking at the the evolution of what Brady Singer has done, and he is absolutely tweaking that that slider, and it has become become a little bit more uh, horizontally friendly, and uh, he's still got a little bit more last year's vertically. So I think you're on this up to Joel that there might be two different versions of that slider being held and i like you said that command of that sinker was was apparent uh, on sunday that he was working down working in the on the corners on uh, on lefties bringing it in on him and then working outside with that slider on righties so it was absolutely working everything was good he looked really really good uh very promising on that and again the lynch the lynch start absolutely could have fallen off the rails from early but he responded settled in and started striking dudes out and i think it was just a monster response from him uh, against the Rockies on on Saturday. So I was very very pleased with what I saw from both those guys. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And Singer, it's easy to bring up the stat because obviously it's in retrospect. But he got his hard hit rate in those two was forty three percent compared to his season average of fifty six. He's been getting pummeled all year, mm. and that was an improvement. He had eight whips on the slider in game one, uh, nine in the second start, and then Daniel Lynch. Like you said, Josh, he he didn't let the wheels fall off in his start. And in both of them, he's got the changeup working. He's had the slider working. The fastball has even got a few whips. I think he combined three in those two starts. And he's done a good job of attacking the strike zone, keeping it pretty consistent with the pitch mix. He had 36 fastballs, 30 sliders, 21 changeups, and then 35, 30, and 22. It's like he's been very, very consistent in those two. Um, they both have... 13 strikeouts in two of those starts and then three walks and four walks like they've been pretty similar in terms of like statistical output and limiting hard hit balls and a little bit of damage control because things around them haven't been perfect and we touched on probably 10 minutes ago those things that haven't been perfect around them Um, but I, I don't think you can see the past couple weeks of Daniel Lynch and Brady Singer and be anything other than uh optimistic for for what they're going to do in the next few weeks it was it was very encouraging to see for some sort of stability in the starting rotation because right now it's you know Singer and Lynch we kind of know what you're going to get from them for the most part you know what you're going to get with Zach Greinke you unfortunately know what you're going to get from Jordan Lyles and then Carlos Hernandez as an opener is a damn stud yeah, yeah. I like that I love it we're and I want to see a couple more outings before we really dive into it but. I think it is abundantly clear, and if you watch, the, the Royals actually played on FS1 yesterday, so I was able to catch the first few innings uh, before dad, parental duties uh, stepped in, and then I kind of missed the the bulk of the game, which was probably a good thing in hindsight. Mm-hmm. But it was the best that I've seen Carlos Hernandez look. He yeah. was electric. Uh, if you want one guy, if you want a key on one guy that this coaching staff actually knows what they're doing on the development side with pitching, he's a perfect example of that. I think I think he is one that you can really point to that they are trending in the right direction with this. 
Um, this might take a little more time than we anticipated before the year. We're going to take our first break, and we will be right back after this. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. So this is something that we don't think is going to happen, but we're going to bring it up just in case because our buddy Josh decided to to tell us something that he's going to do if uh, if it happens. But as it's right now, there is a little bit of a log jam in the infield. People have talked about the possibility that uh, Nicky Lopez could get traded. There's not really any national rumors or rumors out there about it, but I wouldn't be shocked if maybe someone kicks the tires on it and the Royals decide, hey, you know what, Michael Garcia, you have proven you are an everyday player. Michael Massey's been really good over the last yeah. stretch. We need Bobby at short. And we, you, know, you have the combination of Vinny and Prado at first. Nicky Lopez becomes kind of expendable because Matt, Matt Duffy has actually served pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to continue to eat crow on that one. But Josh decided to tell us that if Nikki gets traded, he will eat a ghost pepper on the podcast. Hang on, we got. I already got a caveat. This. What was it? What was the official? The official one. It was in response to our guy, Royals Report Kev, that he was wouldn't be surprised if Nikki Lopez was traded in the next couple of weeks. Okay, because uh, that was that's the caveat. Because there, I mean, there is a possibility that Nikki Lopez could be traded this this year. I, I could totally see that, especially I think since he's back, his WRC plus is one forty four, mm-hmm. his OPS is eight fifty six. Um, that'll play, but I just don't know how real that is. We'll we'll have to see if any other teams are buying that. His utilityness is utilized, being utilized very well, especially since the Hunter Dozier DFA. I don't like that he's potentially. A third base guy. I want Michael Garcia give me as many reps as he can over there. And if that's going to be the situation, just let it be the situation. We'll just run with that. I, I do know that Q wants to use him as a defensive replacement there in close games with later inning for Massey at second base. I'm fine with that as well. So I know Samad Taylor is kicking the door down. Thick Lofton is at absolutely on a heater yeah. down in Omaha. So there are options in Omaha that you could potentially replace him with but i just don't see it happening in the next couple of weeks i mean we're we're still we're just, just turning the calendar to june still seems very early to deal a guy that i mean does nikki have one and a half years or two and a half years left to control uh he's a free agent after 2025 okay so two and a half years i mean he's still he's still a, a veteran presence in the clubhouse whatever you value that is this clear this team clearly needs somebody to write yep. the ship so why not nikki lopez at that point so i would 
I would be very surprised if he got dealt in the next couple of weeks, like Kevin, our buddy, said. And if he is dealt in the next couple of weeks, which I think I said that on Wednesday last week. So we're mm-hmm. already a week into this. But if that is the case, I will eat the ghost pepper on this show. And the YouTubers will probably get a special treat with that. And I will talk about the haul of that trade without taking a drink. So I'm going to eat the ghost pepper, talk about the haul, and get a drink. If if it happens by the trade deadline, will you eat a jalapeno and do that? Ooh. Like at minimum. It's a jalapeno. You could do that. I could do that. I mean, there's some hot-ass jalapeno. Yeah, that's true. Like, I think Taco Bell mild sauce is spicy, so I can't really talk too much shit because (laughs) I literally cry on the podcast, but yeah. I'm a 37-year-old father, too. I don't need to die on this (laughs) podcast, but in the name of content, I think think it's fair game. So let's say a jalapeno, if it happens, a trade by the deadline this year. I don't don't really have too much. Ghost pepper is good enough for me. All right, so this was something that I didn't know what I wanted to actually bring up this may be just a rambling stream of consciousness for the next five to ten minutes so if you don't want to listen to this you can just move to the next break and we'll i think it's going to be worth listening to but i i think it, it it could be this might be the most measured part of this podcast because most I, notes think <laughs> I have, I have some notes too yeah so this is all about bobby wood jr mm-hmm. and other podcasts, other outlets that talk about the Royals have talked about Bobby. And there are some that I think are there. There is obviously valid concerns, at least early on. I'm, and now concerns is a relative term because he's 23. And then there's some commentary that I think has jumped the shark so far in the other direction that it's almost like people are just like, he sucks. And we're just, we've just decided that he's terrible. And I just want to be upset. Um, now those people, most of the time, their opinion doesn't need to be heard nor does it, is it valid, but it just, it's just wild to me. Like some of, some of the commentary is out of control. Yeah. It has Bobby Witt Jr. been underachieving relative to the expectation that was put upon him when he came into the big leagues. Sure. Hmm. But is he still a 23 year old that is still pacing for near a 30, 30 season? When everything is not clicking for him. Yes. yes. Like there is people almost want to just forget about that because they see some of the swing decisions and some of the pressing and, and some of that stuff. It's like, man, if he's doing this when it's not clicking for him, wait until it does. Mm-hmm. It's going to. It takes time. Like there I mean, I've talked about this before. Like time like success in the big leagues is not a linear thing. And it takes some people till the halfway through year two or the beginning of year three everything to come together but he's still an elite base runner when he gets on base basically if he hits a single it's going to be a double like we we know that he has turned into an above average to damn near elite shortstop and he has shown flashes with the bat of what he can be now as he put it all together consistently but not many young hitters do like there are very very few that do and that's why they're like Juan Soto who is going to be in the hall of fame like there's levels to this and I think some of it is, and I know Josh, you want you probably want to talk about this because I think this is a text we had. Like he was touted as the best prep shortstop since Aaron. Mm-hmm. And that's what gets put into your brain that that's who he's gonna be. He was 30-30 in the, the minor leagues, a one full year. He comes up, he's gonna be A-Rod because he's not, he obviously sucks. Like it it's ridiculous. Like I don't know. Like I, I think there are there are reasons to be like to be frustrated, upset. 
and then there also it's like the kid's gonna figure it out like i i don't know i i try and sit in the middle on this because i think some of the commentary is insane well so i I agree with everything you just said i think yes he has been technically underachieving yes he has been improved on defense like the wins above replacements still fine he's probably been the best player on the team overall this season because of that like if you look Mm -hmm. at the war on the royals i'm pretty sure he's number one that that's all fine and dandy um, he has a 73 WRC plus in the last month. He's also slumping on the flip side of that. He still has the rest of June, all of July, August, and September to have his numbers climb back up. So um, I, I think compared to the superstar slash like regular star slash savior level, yes, he's underachieving, but some of those counting numbers do matter. Like that is star level stuff and the defense has been star level stuff. So what I did... I focus strictly in WRC plus is probably my favorite stat to look at in terms of offense. Cause Same. the hundreds mm-hmm. league average, all that good stuff. I looked at the shortstops with the highest average WRC plus since 2010, who played at least 300 games. Fernando Tatis jr. Is at the top with 149. Glaber Torres is listed there at 114 at yeah, the he was good when he first came up. Yeah. The, I, I listed their second year and their third year, and I cut out like if they played, let's say, 20 games their rookie year or whatever. Like I tried to be as fair as I could, give Bobby Wood Jr. a bit of the benefit of the doubt. He started with the team, so it's a little bit different for him. But there are three, so that's two options per player, and there's 10 players, so there's 20 possibilities here. Bobby Wood Jr. has an 83 weighted runs created plus heading into today's game um, that the Royals lost, by the way. Not really important. The only seasons I could find of those players that were comparable or even close, like less than 110, Trey Turner's third year, he was 104. Torres's third year, he was 107. And Tulo opened up at 109 and then 83. Mm. Seager popped right off the bat. Bo Bichette popped right off the bat. Carlos Correa popped. Um, Xander Bogarts, Lindor, Hanley Ramirez, Tatis. Like... I'm not saying Bobby Witt Jr. can't figure it out and become that star level guy because Marcus Simeon was under 100 for six years and then suddenly became a really, really good hitter. Javi Baez was at 89 for 400 games and then had some good seasons. Now, if Bobby Witt Jr. turns out to be Javi Baez, that's going to disappoint some people, but he'd still be a recognizable quote unquote star level player. So I'm not writing him off as a top 20 to 30 to 35 MLB player. I I don't think it's impossible that he becomes a superstar. It's even top 20. I'm saying for me personally, he's been even below what I expected of him, which has been like a star level player, but he's also what 200 games in if that like right around Um, there's still time. So the nuance is yes, this has been disappointing. Yes. This has been impressive. And yes, there's also time for those to kind of uh, bridge that gap a little bit. I, I completely agree with both of you guys. The nuance thing, I'm going to sit the fence too because I can see both sides of it very clearly. I mean, the chase rate has got to, the chase rate, the whiff percentage, the chase percentage, all that stuff's got to be corrected. Uh, no doubt about it, his on base percentage has to get better. <clears throat> the flip side of this is his it, whatever you put in, how much ever stock you put into this, his BABIP is 263. It is what it is. It should be around 300 usually. Last year was under 295. 
Um, so judging going off of that, his expected batting average is 271. His expecting slug is five. He's been hitting the ball hard in the air yes. right after the, the last two weeks. He's he's popping up a little bit more than usual, but the line drive percentage up, the barrel percentage is up, the exit velocity is up. Everything you want up when he makes contact with the ball is up. And that's that kind of leads me to his expected OPS is somewhere like 814. And there's only been, I mean, that's like a, if you add in his defense, it's like a 5.9 F4. And since 2000, there's only been 24 players that have been 23 years old or younger post a season above 5.9 F4. So if we're talking about his expected stats, his expected OPS, and his expected F4, he is still a very, very good player. I think that it is foolish to go ahead and chalk it up as a loss, like some of these, some of the people are uh, choosing to do in our mentions. But it just—I don't understand. I understand being disciplined or being disappointed in what he's done. I think I agree that there are plenty of things that he can do better. He needs to hit fastballs. If he hits fastballs, uh, if he starts looking at fastballs and hitting the making contact, even fouling them off, he will improve so much on that part in and of itself. So I think, I mean, you talked about Zumwalt in, in the independent you know, plans and stuff. I got to think that fastball identification and being able to do damage on those fastballs is going to be key to Bobby Witt coming out of this uh, disappointment so far. But I think he's just got to relax a little bit more, and that goes for the fans too. I think we all just got to chill for a minute and take a little bit of a uh, uh, chill pill, if you will. Yeah. The combination of a player with high expectations that is underachieving with a fan base that is impatient that wants to win is an awful combination. Like it just it is right now, especially for a team that is losing a lot. That it it puts a you know we look for blame. And it's going to go to the player that we all thought was going to be good that sucks apparently or whatever. The second coming of Jeff Frank core is someone put it in my mentions. F off mm-hmm. of that. But the other part of this, and I, I mentioned it a little bit in that last statement, but the weight of the franchise is put on this kid at 21 years old. The, the Royals plan last year very much seemed like we're going to run it back with the same team and we're going to put Bobby Wood Jr. on it and it's going to save us all. Mm-hmm. And that did not work. Like, do you want to try that shit, people? No. Like, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, okay. I I can yeah. barely, you know, live up to my, I can't even live up to my own expectations, let alone the the weight of a, a city and franchise. Like, I think that's kind of bullshit that people, and that's not at all, I don't want anyone thinking I'm calling him, you know, not capable of doing it or whatever. No. Like, that is a task in and of itself, it and that adds, so... you think he doesn't think about that? I would be surprised if that thought never creeped into his mind at any point, ever. So there's a certain element of you mentioned some of the, some of those shortstops that you mentioned uh, that came in. Like obviously Tatis had a ton of expectations. But like Manny Machado was already there. Like the culture was already established. I don't think he had like the franchise changing pressure. Labor Torres played for the friggin' Yankees. I don't think he had that. Bobby did. Oh. And a couple of these, now these guys are not these guys aren't shortstops, but I think similar in that it's a team that is trying to win. And so they bring up this young prospect that's got the weight of the franchise on their shoulders from the second they showed up. And for the first two years, it was like, eh, like maybe they're good. I don't know. Like Jared Kelnick had literally the worst major league debut ever for two, through two years. <laughs> first year it comes up weight of the franchise. They're trying to win. Like they're trying to win now 20 year playoff drought. Jared Kelnick's going to save us all slash a buck 81, 265, 350. Mm-hmm. And then the next year Julio comes up and, 
Julio didn't necessarily have the same expectation, but he turned into that guy. Uh, and yeah, Jared Kelnick last year, buck 41, 221, 313. Comes in this year, year three, he's 23, pretty much been written off. Like, maybe he's a platoon guy at best. And while he has slumped a little bit over the last few weeks, he's still 270, 333, 49, 495 with a 131 weighter in created plus. And he had the same sort of prospect pedigree as Bobby from the like draft, both from draft and from the minor leagues. And another guy, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Came in at 20 years old, 80-grade hit tool, number one prospect, greatest prospect ever. You know, going to come in and he's going to be a part of the, the baby Jays, Bo, Bo Bichette, not too far behind. He's going to be the guy, uh, all these expectations, negative .2 F war in, his, in 123 games his first season. Now the numbers, the counting numbers look fine, like 272, 339, 433. He was supposed to go up at 35 home runs. He had 15. And then in the 2020 season, he's 21 years old. And he slashes 262, 329, 462. And it's like, okay, maybe like with a 110 and 106 winner and created plus. It's like, okay, maybe he's going to be a solid first baseman. Like, I don't know. Like, I remember that conversation about Vladdy. Like, he's not the guy that we thought he was. Maybe he's a, he's a fine big league. Year three, 311, 401, 601, 166 winner and created plus MVP runner up. Sometimes it takes time. And so I hope that those two guys that I think have very, had, similar paths and similar expectations coming in that it didn't happen right away that it can't like it's it can and it's going to like these guys are too good and too talented for that to happen dudes bust out i don't think bobby's that guy i think he's flashed enough that that's that's not the case this is a fan base that had to wait on moose and hosmer for how long what three years I mean, two years yeah yeah so we should we should know what patience is and that's i mean just because he's the number two prospect or number two pick from a few years ago that's the added pressure i mean Let's just let's just take a breath here, folks. Yeah, exactly. We're gonna take our final break and we'll be right back, talk a little minor leagues and our hitter and pitcher spotlight of the week. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app, find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. Entertain, educate, inform. KC Sports Network. Welcome back. Be sure to hit that like and subscribe button on all platforms. We appreciate all the support as you guys are gutting through this season with us. For our pick, that's about the best way I could describe it. Uh, <laughs> it's about, the, it's a grind. Yeah. And the, it's June. Yeah. <laughs> the So for the, the picture that we want to highlight this week, um, the bullpen has been kind of much maligned outside of Barlow and Chapman. Like, basically, it's like the, how do we get to those guys when they're winning in the eighth inning? But Scott Taylor Clark has been very good for the past month. Uh, a guy that I, you know, had a very inconsistent April. He'd have three shutout innings or three shutout outings, and then he'd get blown up, and then he'd be fine, and then he'd give him a couple of runs, and then he'd be fine. He hasn't given up a run since May 2nd. That is what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's like 15 scoreless outings. Yep. F- f- I think 14 scoreless outings. I did my math wrong there. Yep. And, and what's weird is he went for a guy that's got pretty good stuff. Like, he, he, he'll get up and he'll hit a mid-nine. And he'll, he, he didn't have a strikeout for six straight outings and got out of innings. Mm. And, and a couple of them are multi-innings multi or an inning in a third. But... For a bullpen that has a lot of volatility right now with injuries and just general reliever volatility outside of Chapman and Barlow, 
it's kind of been a mainstay and turned into that seventh inning guy that it, it helps shorten the game for, for this team. And with Barlow locking down the ninth the way he has for the last month, Chapman locking down the eighth the way he has, Clark can lock down the seventh. It helps shorten the game. You don't need, you know, you can pick somebody for the fifth or say, or if your starter gets you to the sixth, and then boom, you go to Clark in the seventh and you're good to go. It's it's a really welcome sight uh, for a guy that was very up and down last year. It seems like he's really settled in. ERA is down to 289, 32 strikeouts to nine walks this year. Uh, so the, the walks have come down for him, which was a problem last year. You know, shockingly enough, as the Royals led the league in walks last year. Uh, it's good to see. It's really, really good to see. He's He's been great. Um, he's striking guys out more often than he has. He's leaving more guys on base than he ever has. Um, he's getting more infield fly balls, more soft contact than he ever has. He's 75th percentile or better in six different things on Savant, 98th percentile in chase rate. Like guys just aren't hitting him. Um, he's using the four seam fastball. So he jumped from 53 to 42 from 2021 to last year. That's down to 27 and a half percent. Now this season, um, the intro of the sweeper has helped his arsenal. Um, he's using it 23% of the time. Like that's, that's a big chunk. He's not like a Brady singer. I'm going to throw this change up, get me over 8%. Like he's, he's effing using it. Uh, guys are hitting 227 off of it. It gets three and a half more inches of vertical movement than the average sweeper. So like it's a combination of the fastball going down, the sweeper being implemented. Opponents are hitting the ball less often when they do, they're hitting it softer. They're missing a lot more, um, Talk about a potential trade piece. Like, yes, he's arbitration eligible the next two years. Yes, he just turned 30 in May. But, like, if the Royals want to sell high on him, which personally I I think I probably would, um, he's only making just over a million this year on arbitration. So, like, talk about a guy they might want to look into trading. Um, it's, it's one of the benefits maybe of having a career year borderline from him. Maybe see what you can get. I think Joel, you talked about like Lynch and Singer kind of being the <clears throat> the guys that this pitching coaching you know change kind of hung their head on. I think Carlos Taylor Hernandez, Clark is yeah. Carlos Hernandez. Very, oh, you're right, you're right. Carlos Hernandez. I think Taylor Clark has absolutely got a case for that too. Um, his K percent is up twenty percent. His whip percent is up fourteen percent. Um, his uh, Z swing percent is down twelve and a half percent. The Z contact uh, is up three and a half percent. So it, to me, that kind of tells him that. Hitters are kind of more off balance when they're up there against them. They're not seeing them very well. I think that is the most a testament to what Clark is doing on the mound, but also the game plan against these guys and what Taylor Clark does well. And I think that that comes from the coaching as well. Jordan mentioned the sweeper kind of bumping up the the rest of the arsenal, making it look better. I totally 100% agree. Change the shape of his slider, which is now generating 38% whiffs, which is huge. Uh, and that sweeper is a 31.9% whiff rate. So I, I, it's just... It, if you want to talk about the changes that this uh, pitching coaching staff is is implementing, I think Taylor Clark is a very good uh, symbol of that. And and I agree. And I, I, it would be tough to see him go, but I'd love to watch him leave. That's not the context of that quote, but you know what I mean. That rhymed, by the way. <laughs> I'm a poet. And I didn't even think about that. So for our hitter spotlight, can I call an Ottawa? And can we talk about Michael Garcia? I I don't have any notes on Michael Garcia, but we can talk about Michael sure, Garcia if you we, want we, to. So we mentioned Edward Olivares, who I think... There's really nothing that fucking... 
Sorry, I didn't want to no, drop you. Did, I'm like, you dropped what? it. <laughs> what are you supposed to say? Like, he's been Edward Olivares, and yeah, the power's been there, yeah. and he's hitting the ball harder, and he's hitting the ball the opposite field. Like, he's 27. He doesn't play defense. He's a platoon bat against righties. Like, it, it, he's the same, largely the same Edward Olivares. So right. we, we can talk about Mike uh, Garcia. One, the one thing that I was going to bring up in my notes, and I saw Alex Duvall, Rose Farmer, brought it up right like 30 minutes ago. I was talking about how Edward Olivares could be a trade candidate. And I think that that is absolutely could be. a possibility because, A, he's young. He's got athleticism. Yes, he does have injury in the a past injury history, but his bat is kind of undeniable. I think it's for real. I think it's been proven real at this point. So um, if somebody needs a DH bat, a young cost controlled guy that can produce for the most part and maybe play some outfield. That's fine. Franchi Cordero. Trey Franchi. Yeah. I mean, I think he's, I think he's got a lot better than all of our, or sure. all of us a lot better than Franchi, uh, both very similar in the field. But uh, I, I think that that could be potentially, there's a little bit of a log jam in the outfield. I don't really yeah. see, obviously he's not going to be playing much DH in this roster. So I think you should really start to look at all of our, see if there's any interested teams and see what you can get back for him. Sure. Joel, you got something on Michael Garcia? I want to. I feel like you're going to need to cut your play clock's winding down, buddy. <laughs> you called an audible that that the the coach's helmets shut off at however many seconds. That's why Jared Goff sucked when those the, late in the uh, play clock. Yeah, because Sean McVay has. 50, 50 yeah. war play calls. McVay couldn't whisper sweet nothings or, you know, scream into his headset. Well, first of all, Michael Garcia hit his first big league home run. And sure for a guy did. that's basically Nicky Lopez, as we were told in the beginning of the season, I don't think Nicky Lopez is hitting 414 foot oppo pieces at Kaufman Stadium. Mm, I, I told you I, that. Did I say that? No, no, somebody else. I mean, probably some moron on Twitter that doesn't know ball. Probably multiple morons on Twitter. Probably. But, like, if if Nicky Lopez ever hits a ball 414 feet, I'll eat a jalapeno on this podcast, mm. or on this podcast because <laughs> I don't think that's ever going to happen, ever. I don't know if he's ever hit a ball 414 feet in his life. Mm-hmm. But it's elite defense. He's shown some of the best play discipline on the team. He's hitting a line drives at a rate only Nick Prado is hitting more. He's got the, one of the lowest chase rates on the team. He's got one of the lowest uh, swinging strike rates on the team. He's proving to be an everyday big leaguer right now. And there is no reason why he is. I think he's a legitimate part of the future on this team. I agree. I don't have too much to add. I think I still want to see more from him. But, like, I think we talked about, um, like, if, if they're... <laughs> Joel said something in the chat. I I can't contain myself. I, I if you would have asked me before the year, like which prospect would be the most like Vinny Pasquantino, only in that I would like be pretty confident that he'd be able to stay the course and offer quite a bit for a long time. It was Michael Garcia, and like I still believe that nothing he's done has mm-hmm. dissuaded me from from believing in that. And, like the peripherals look great. Follow at Royals Farm Report on Twitter. He is like on watch of that stuff 24-7, and it's all been good. So I, I don't have too much more to add. The the thing that kept coming out to me was, I don't know, remember it was, Jake, it was a Piccolo or what, the preseason talking about how they think of him as Tim Anderson with the plate approach. And that has got me Ooh. kind of all kinds of excited because I love me some Tim Anderson. So he also kind of makes uh, Bobby Wood Jr. somewhat tradable. Um, just going to say that. And that's going to do it for the Royals uh, Farm Report podcast. Good God. Yeah, do we have one more topic, Joel? 
John- Joel doesn't know how to what to do every time Josh brings that up. Every time I say that, yeah, I, I yeah. lock Joel up real bad. But I'm, I mean, I'm kind of serious about it at this point because Michael Garcia, I have to think, is somewhat open to an extension, probably more so affordable than Bobby Wood Jr. He's not going to be as good as Bobby Wood Jr., but his elite defense, he does a lot of the same things that Bobby Wood Jr. does. It's just like diet Bobby Wood Jr. I, I just feel like you can get potentially a absolute haul for Bobby Wood Jr. And if you don't think there's any way that you're going to be able to extend him, you got to entertain the idea. And I think that that has already been thought about within the organization at some point. I think down the few down the road, I think it's a real reality that uh, that we can really start to get used to at this point. But it's still further down the road. It doesn't necessarily have to be now. I'm just saying. Gosh. Michael Garcia, his presence and his production so far can can make that somewhat palpable. <laughs> He's saying get on the horn. Josh, my be summer child. Can we please stop with that? <laughs> Josh is just playing armchair GM, and it is, I love it. I will never stop. Not even if there's a fire. Should we talk minor leagues? Let's talk minor leagues. And then get the uh, hell out of here. One of the, the biggest stories this week. So Frank Mazzucato had a great start against Down East. Uh, five innings, ten strikeouts, three walks. Got it. He was he's third in all of minor league baseball in walks or in strikeouts with seventy-four. Looking like he's just gonna continue on this war path in the Carolina League and get up to uh quad cities here pretty soon. And then we got a tweet from Andy Rogers on Saturday during the Royals Rockies game that said Frank Mazzucato was in a collision during practice with a teammate. And he was put on the seven-day IL, which is basically the concussion injured list. And he's going to be out for at least a month. Fuck! <laughs> and we're back. Two of those. I had to get my one in. Yeah, we might need to flag this one. <laughs> this season is just Murphy's Law. Like, anything that can go wrong has. And... Frank Mazzucato was one of the bright spots that we had across the entire organization. And now he's out for a month. <laughs> Come on, man. Now, Brent Kuderna and Shane Panzini had great starts this week, too, in Columbia. So, like, the young pitchers are really coming into their own. But Mazzucato was completely, like, justifying the Royals taking him at eight this season. He was. He had been incredible. And, of course, now he's hurt. And he's not going to pitch for at least a month. Hopefully they Silver just... lining. Silver lining is he... I mean, there's just more tread that he's going to have next year. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not real. Don't, that's not a real thing. <laughs> pain, man. All bad. Yep. All bad. Not good. That That is my analysis of <laughs> uh, Frank Mazzucato getting hurt. It is not good. Yeah. Josh... What do you got? Minor league uh, Bright spot also in Columbia. We haven't talked about Steven Zoback very much. Um, absolutely so good. That guy out. needs to be in quad cities. He's just pulling people 20, all year. 22-year-old in Columbia, so he's about of age, uh, according to B-Ref, uh, as far as like Columbia goes in A-ball. A 1.8 ERA uh, after four starts. He's given up five earned runs in 25 innings. He has a strikeout percentage of 33% to a walk rate of 3%. Um, we got him in the fourth round of last year's MLB draft. It's probably, I mean, it's looking pretty damn good. That's uh, that's a lot of fun. 
Uh, Steven Zoback needs to get some more flowers, I think, and more some more respect on his name and get him get him up to Quad Cities as soon as possible. So there is multiple bright spots there in Colombia outside of Frank Mazzucato, Kurna, Panzini, both pitching really well. So Steven Zoback, those four in that rotation down there are very, very good. Steven Zoback tonight, he's started tonight for Columbia. We're recording on Tuesday night. Uh, four and two-thirds, four hits, one earned, three strikeouts, two walks. ERA said 1.82. Um yeah, he's he's been ridiculously good. Like it. My shout out, Will Klein. Um, I, I think there's a soundbite out there from spring training when a certain somebody said that Will Klein was going to have a good year. Um, not to toot that person's horn because usually they're wrong like 99% of the time. They still could be here. Um, anyway, Will Klein, 376 ERA with a 281 FIP. He's getting babbipped all the helds, 403 this year after it was like above 400 last year. Um, but 41 strikeouts to 13 walks. He's cut down his walk rate over half from last year. He's allowed one home run all year. His last four games, two innings pitched with no runs allowed in each of them, two total hits combined in those four games, and then three walks to 14 strikeouts. Um, he's a guy that I think before the season there were even people, and it wasn't even me, that said he could potentially be at Kauffman Stadium at on the back end of the year, um, I think with his age and, and development, he is a prime candidate to skip AAA potentially at some point and just come up. I don't know what type of Dylan Coleman back of the bullpen profile you'd get with Will Klein and a Dylan Coleman, and uh, Chapman will probably be gone at that point. Um, Barlow could Stalmont's be gone at that up. point. Stalmont, so... There's options for the Royals bullpen, even if you just promote him to AAA and see what he can do there. I think some sort of challenge is probably coming for Will Klein over the next month or so, um, and it's probably deserved because he is really cutting down on something he really, really needed to trim up before the year, and he's doing it. I'm going to keep shouting him out because he has been easily one of the best prospects in the system this year, outshining the number one prospect in the system, Javier Vaz. Yeah. Again, this week, 346, 393, 692 slug, eight RBIs, had two more stolen bases on the year, two slashing 295, 376, 490 for a 148 winner runs created plus. He has 19 walks to 13 strikeouts, 12 stolen bases along with it, and really solid defense. This is a real prospect. This is not just like a really good story that the Royals got in the mid rounds. He he is legitimately playing his way into a where does he fit on the big league roster by the end of 2024? Because he's just going to keep hitting this way. Like he did it last year in uh, in low A slash, and had a 120 in low A and he's gotten better. And he's added more power and he's still cutting down on the walks. Like it's it's a good, it's a really good thing to see for the Royals. But they got another guy. Shout out to Danny Otnaveros for getting another mid-round guy that mm. college bat that just bashes mm. and it's really really good to see and it's not like he's as awesome as Luis Arias has been and he's hitting over 400 right now like Javier Vaz is doing similar things like slashing the ball with a little more power and he's hitting the ball harder more consistently than Luis Arias does not saying he's going to be Luis Arias. Uh, that's not what I. That, just that's heard. what you just said. Yeah, not what I just don't, heard. Don't walk it back like now, the, buddy. Like the approach of spring on fields, he does. You stood in it, sure. Yeah, 
I will say though, like, in the, and this is my final thought before we get out of here. It has been freaking incredible watching Luis Arias at the plate when he's yeah. playing playing the Royals. He's so like, fun. It is ridiculous. I, and I know that this cop is going to feel gross, but it's like the closest thing we've seen to Tony Gwynn. Seriously. Mm. Like with the, the, he does not strike out. He's going to slash the ball all over the place. And it does, it doesn't matter what you do. He's just going to find a way to slash a ball to the third baseline. It, like it, you know, he'll swing in the batter's box. Like I, it's incredible. What he His doing. strikeout yeah. rate's 4.8%. Yeah. 4.8%. Like, oh I think Carl Hernandez got, Carl Hernandez got him to swing and miss at a pitch yesterday. And I was yeah. like, oh, that works. Like, can we count that as a strikeout? Yeah. I remember. Yeah. That, that Pablo Lopez trade. I was just like, what? I don't, for Luis Ryan. I mean, he's fine, but Pablo Lopez pumped. I mean, now I get it. It's yeah. uh, credit like, to the Marlins for be, seeing that. He can be the first player since 2000 to hit 380. No, no one's done it since I've like the late nineties. And then obviously he'd have to hit like, I think he has hit like four Oh six, the rest of the way to hit 400. But he only has hit three seventy the rest of the way to hit over three eighty. Only three seventy. Yeah. <laughs> we'll yeah. See no, that's, that's all you have to do. Right. Like, come on. And to do that in an era where it has never been harder to hit a baseball and he's hitting yeah, three, yeah. he's hitting 400. It's yeah. June 6th. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. That's a good way to wrap it up. Yep. Thank you guys so much for bearing with us. We will talk to you next week, and hopefully we have more good things to talk about or just anything good to talk about. Uh, be sure to hit all, you know, like, subscribe, follow us on Twitter at One Royal Way KCSN. Um, subscribe on YouTube. Tucker is doing a series now where he's rebuilding the Royals on MLB The Show, uh, so be sure to check that out. Uh, subscribe, follow on all our audio channels, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.